Hello and welcome to Who's Dropping at the Movies. I'm Mike. And I'm Jose. And we're watching a bona fide classic. Yes. I think that's fair to say. Even though one of us doesn't necessarily agree that it should be. Yes. The Palm Beach story. Criterion had a uh, a sale the other day and I bought a whole bunch of classics um, that I wanted to re-see. So I saw Holiday last night and then I thought it would be good to see The Palm Beach Story with Mike. Little did I know. Mm. <laughs> but I have seen it before uh, and I really properly hate this film. Why? Proper. I think it's How can anyone boring, noisy, monotone, Unmodulated. I hate every performance. Oh I God, hate every line you of hate dialogue. Mary Astor in this? No, I, I, because I think it's the thing of like once, once one bit of it starts turning you off, every part of it just starts turning me off. I can't. I, I, I can see that like certain lines are funny. Yes. Like on paper, hilarious. Not just on I, paper. I, I, I don't. It, I feel absolutely none of it, and I just don't get why people like. So the thing is, um, I watched this three years ago, I think, because I had seen Unfaithfully Yours because. I saw an interview with Quentin Tarantino, mm. uh, which was from maybe 10 or 15 years ago, where he talked about like his top 10 films, and that was one of them. Mm. He talked about why he liked it. And I don't really remember what he said about why he liked it, but I watched it, and I really liked it. Mm. And I think I think one of the main reasons I liked it was the structure, the thing about fantasising about killing his wife mm. and going back. Because actually, a lot of the dialogue in that wasn't the kind of sparkling, mm. witty stuff that Sturgis is really associated with. That we have in the Palm Beach story. That is supposedly... <laughs> um, but, you know, I mentioned this to Celia, who I've mentioned many times, and has been on podcasts before. Um, and she she loves films of this era, and she loves screwballs and things. And so she's like, you've got to see the Palm Beach story. Fabulous. And I watched it, and I just hated every minute. Um... <laughs> 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 you didn't hate this or that you hated every minute it was painful <laughs> yeah genuinely um, and then she went into a whole thing about how English people don't like Preston Sturgis and she doesn't know why I agree yeah yeah and I have a theory as to why okay you know my theory is that you all pride yourself on being so clever with wordplay I mean you know there's no other culture English speaking culture that I know of you know, that takes so much pride in word games and word play and, you know, kind of making all kinds of connotative things with language. Mm. And you can't deal with English being spoken in another way. And the thing about Preston Sturgis is that his his films are all full of word play and language games and so on. And they're just not, you know, they're, they're American kind of. I can see that. Uh, and you just don't get it and you get resentful. <laughs> I can see that as a theory. Um, <laughs> no, I can. Uh, uh, you know, and I wouldn't say discount it. Although I will, I also wouldn't say that, like when I'm kind of thinking through, trying to trying to reason out my response to the film, it's not something that comes to mind. When I'm trying to be as honest as I can about mm. what turns me off, I don't think that's it because it's because I like really well written, witty stuff, mm. and so much of it is American. And I and I like clever wordplay and stuff. As you said, but I don't. I don't. I don't think I object to when it's American. Well, I mean, look at let's look at this right because it has one of the most brilliant beginnings of all time, right? It's kind of it's like a wedding. You that doesn't initially make sense, yeah, because some are rushing to get married and it's kind of you know one is stuck inside a cupboard, tied up. You don't know why, mm. right? And so on. And you know, then you move on to this couple. 
and you know the thing they lived happily ever after did they that's very clever you know mm. and and particularly at this time when there are expectations of of a romantic comedy and then kind of you go and the whole thing is like about a divorce you know a couple that can't pay their rent yeah that love each other but I mean the first five minutes or so just Joel McRae's pratfalls and his running after her and I mean all that stuff I find very funny and very mm. well done I mean you know just like very well done kind of uh, 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 pratfall comedy really yeah well that's not witty that's not that's not okay I mean actually the pratfall that I like I, I did I really like the bit where the guy falls out the car towards the end I think that's a really well done prank stunt yeah. well him falling while he's chasing her from in their house as she's leaving to take a taxi all of those pratfalls are really well done but that's not even the half of it you know kind of uh, uh, the dialogue is brilliantly witty you know mm. no sure so it, it, yeah, I so know. so you know, there's a there's a formal wit, right? Mm -hmm. You know, the ending at the beginning, the happy ending not being a happy ending. Mm. You know, uh, there's uh, the physical comedy of you know all the pratfalls, right? And they all land, right? And then there are all the jokes, right? You mm. know, um, yeah, I don't know. No, it does sex and sin. I find John McRae deeply talentless. Oh, I love him. Um, Really deeply talented, and actually, I was saying because I, I was just talking to Celia, asking her for her thoughts because yes. this has come up before, and you know she repeated everything she says <laughs> every time we talk about this film. But she also expanded on a couple of things, and one of the things was John McRae, uh, the husband. Well, actually, this is this is kind of a, a little more widely about why she likes Sturgis, which I think is interesting, right? And I told her that I was going to read all mm. of this out. So she said, "The great thing about Preston Sturgis is that he's the great poet of American male inarticulacy." And when his character is Rex Harrison, as in Unfaithfully Yours, who's supposed to be a blisteringly intelligent and verbose polymath, that's not funny. But when Texas Ranger John McRae launches into a big speech about love that's ridiculous and funny and sweet and quite true, that is funny because he's a definite yep and nope kind of guy. Like a, like a John Wayne or something like that, except John Wayne would never do one of these films. Like the strong, silent cowboy American archetype. So there's unexpected depths and also verbal articulacy. Sturgis is like, what if American men could say feelings in words? Mm. And that's really quite modern in terms of how it approaches masculinity and deconstructing it. She says, the strong silent type, what if he wasn't? What if he was ridiculous in, and in love and said so? I think that's a very interesting way of looking at it. Well, it is, and I, I would mostly agree with it. Yeah, because he is very articulate and he is the one who's constantly spilling out his feelings uh, for her. Uh, and he is he's kind of being articulate about it actually so all of that is fine what I like about him is that he speaks with a kind of earnest fervor he's the straight man right mm. kind of he's not being ironic or yeah like he's playing on a different key than say Mary Astor yeah who is like you know completely stylized and way up there right yeah and actually this this kind of play against both Mary Astor on the one level and then against Claudette Colbert on another, I think is, is both moving and funny. Do you think there's a comparison between uh, McRae's performance and the performance of someone like Leslie Nielsen in Airplane, mm. as in playing it that straight? No, because one is playing it straight, but without feeling. Yeah, and the thing is that Joe McRae, like the whole performance is a vehicle for feeling. His earnestness actually comes from the heart. He feels that. Mm. And he's trying to communicate that with her. Yeah, it's not a blank kind of... 
mm. you know, the way that Leslie Nielsen is. They're, they're not comparable um, to me at all. <laughs> no, no, it's fine. The thing is, I actually find, I, I find him so blank. But I agree his role is at least looking for uh, emotional kind mm. of openness. But I find the performance so blank, which is why I think I find him talentless, as opposed to it being like a deliberate uh, choice. That actually, that I was thinking about Leslie Nielsen because I was thinking, oh, that that level of um, uh, playing it straightness that Nielsen brought to Airplane and Police Squad and so on is something that I would actually really welcome in this. Um, well, but like it know, feels like he doesn't get there, but actually, maybe what he's not getting at is the emotional transparency. Well, see, I mean, to me, I think this is like uh, so far superior to some somebody like Leslie Nielsen. That you know they're not even on the same planet. I mean, that scene running out of bed, chasing after her, is really, really broad. Yeah, uh, I mean he loses his pants. Mm. Yeah, kind of the woman behind him sees his ass, then the elevator sees his ass. I mean those are all laughs. Mm. You know, and with most people they would land <laughs> except with you, mm. right? I mean that's very broad playing, and it's all really being done through kind of his trying to uh, chase after her because he loves her, right? So, and, and the feeling is real and the situation is broad and, you know, the, and he is very convincing kind of doing all of that. You have to be, right? So I think he's, I think he's wonderful, really. Mm-hmm. Fair enough. You know that when I um, make comparisons between actors or films, they're not always necessarily value judgments. <laughs> Just saying. <laughs> well, uh, you know, like I mean, it's true that I don't like John McRae in this. Um, have you seen Sullivan's uh, Travels? No, and I refuse to. Well, you really must. He's so wonderful in it, mm. you know, and uh, and so skilled. You know, I want to make up a film about suffering and people. Yeah, and, <laughs> you know, he's kind of he's got a cold and then uh, he. He gets it's almost like, you know, a religious feeling that overtakes him, you know. Um, he's wonderful. Right? What about uh, the supporting cast? This is something that, again, Celia brought I up. I love. Celia is saying she loves character actors. She says they're her whole reason for liking classic Hollywood films, although, in brackets, although they're not actually banned by national cinema because you get the same thing in French cinema and in Bollywood. We've seen a, a number of films of this era where you're like, oh, and this person, this person, you know them all. And is that like half the reason for, you know, loving these? Well, partly, but also Preston Sturges has his own Mm. kind of company, Company. so to speak, right? So, you know, uh, somebody like William Damarest, he appears kind of in all of them, really. And he's brilliant, right? He's he's the ordinary guy who shoots the window. Mm. And Franklin Pangborn always appears as the sissy. I mean, in this case, he's showing the apartments, Mm -hmm. right? And... The wife of the deaf guy you know, appears in Sullivan's Travels, and she plays very broadly and uh, fluttery, and so on. So I mean, you feel you're entering a world. Uh, yeah, Preston Sturges is his own world, and part of the reason why it's his own world is because it's people by these particular people, mm. right? Um, who are kind of types, you know, but they're witty and they're inclusive or harsh or yeah. I love them really. And I also love how you, you know, the more you delve into these things, the more you make associations, right? So, for example, you know, the um, Rudy Valley character, the millionaire, mm. yeah, you can see how some like a hot takes off from this, 
yeah, how this has been an influence on some like it hot, mm. right? The millionaire that Jack Lemmon ends up with, mm. you know, facially, verbally, like in terms of bits of dialogue. Yeah, you can see kind of cross references like that. Um, but I also just think it's kind of as genuinely funny in a way that one doesn't associate with um, American comedy in the sense that it's also incredibly absurdist. Uh, I mean, that's not true. I should take that back. There's a lot of absurdism in American comedy. But in this, you know, uh, elegant, you know, drawing room, millionaire, verbal wit comedy. Mm. Yeah. Um, I suppose, you know, screwball is that. Well, I mean, yeah, this is like, this is screwball. Yeah, yeah. and this is screwball. You know, but the thing about the hare and hounds or whatever, kind of, you know, the whole train station scene and going in the train... You know, I suppose you could find it tiresome, yeah? Or you could go into the spirit of the whole thing. And if you go into the spirit of the chaos and the absurdism and, mm. you know, I mean, I kind of, I like it. Yeah. <laughs> no, I, mean, I don't uh, blame you for liking it. And I don't blame Celia for liking it. And like I say, it's, I, I think I, there is some X factor that I just miss with this film. Yes. I just miss it. Like, I remember, um, I remember when Alfa Romeo came out with this car called the 8C. Competizione, mm. which is just some sports car, but people were falling over themselves to talk about how beautiful this thing was, and I just did not see it. And it wasn't the same as like, oh, I get why you like this, and I just don't like it. I was baffled Puzzled. as to why it was even beautiful, yes. and I kind of feel like that with this. Like, oh. I just do not connect at all, and it's I, I can't properly explain it. But once it gets into it, I'm just thinking this is just noisy and loud and talking. And I'm just not feeling any of it. Oh yeah, that was a funny line. I can see that. This, you know, the, the old guy. You have to shout, and he can't hear anything. And then he misunderstands. And he says, "Oh yes, it's Thursday, whatever." I, I love, like, oh god, this is supposed to be the cleverest thing ever. I love all those gags. I must say, yeah. you know. And then the what he says is also genuinely witty, like you know about and and daring for its time. Yeah, yeah. life is you know what is it. Sex and sin, <laughs> and, and honestly, I think every sex joke, and sin have always been with, are always with us. <laughs> and honestly, I, I really think every joke in here I have laughed at somewhere else. And and and, and the point, maybe it comes from here. No, 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 but the point of that is not to say this is unoriginal, or whatever. That's not the point. It's just to say that actually, I should like this. I should like what's going on here. And somewhere else, I've laughed at the same sorts of things, and it's just not clicking here. And I cannot tell you why. Well, don't think this the wrong way. <laughs> but you know I think you're too conventional about things to do with marriage and so on and the thing about this movie the thing that makes it so daring and so on is that actually that you know it's two people who really love each other who are very bad for each other right mm-hmm. and um, you know she can get by yeah, just on her sex appeal and she's happy to do it right yeah so that alone yeah, is kind of really daring and unconventional, right? Because really, he's the sweet damsel in distress, right? Yeah. She's the able one who can kind of, you know, get what she wants, really, almost without trying, right? She's pretty, and she knows how to use it, really. And that's the premise of the film. And I have, well, I could be putting words in <laughs> your mouth, but I think that's the premise you inherently dislike. I honestly don't even think I get as far as that premise before I start hating it. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) I just think it turns me off from the start. I think it's energy and and the the whole opening. 
I think sometimes people can be very demanding about comedy. And I don't necessarily say this about myself, particularly, or British people. Um, I think just generally people can be... Like, when a, when a, when a sitcom starts on TV, it generally gets a harsher reception than a drama does. And I think the reason is that people are like, make me laugh, or it didn't make me laugh. Whereas people will give drama time to develop. Sure. Yeah, it shouldn't make me cry immediately. <laughs> but people are like, if it's not funny straight away, it's just not funny. And I think maybe I've never got past that with this. But I mean, I've given it two chances now. Yeah, over three years. And maybe, you know, one puts so much pressure on it by saying, oh, it's this classic. Yeah. You know, maybe one shouldn't say that. Maybe one should just say, you know, I really like this film, watch it with me. Because... You know, I mean, there's a lot to like. I mean, uh, you know, Joel McCrail and Claudette Colbert are immensely attractive, right, and immensely skilled. The clothes are fantastic. The jewels are fantastic. The settings are fantastic, right? Mm. You know, it's got yachts and palaces and trains, <laughs> right? Yeah, so, you know, there's already, like, a lot to like, right? Yeah. yeah so if you don't put this burden on it, it's a masterpiece. Well, right? I definitely don't put it on it anymore, because I've decided that it's rubbish. Right. Well, <laughs> so like, so I'm not expecting it to be the greatest thing ever anymore. And, but like I say, it's now that thing of... But people seem to think it is. And I'm just baffled at the state of the world. Well, I tell you, I would watch this film again just for the Mary Astor character. Mm. I mean, you know, she makes me laugh, like, from the beginning. Uh, and also because she's so matter-of-fact, right? Like, five husbands, oh, yes, this one, yeah. or whatever. Oh, you know, kind of, yeah, people generally like me for my money, blah, blah, blah. <laughs> I mean, you know, kind of, it's a, it's a fantastic character, and it's a fantastic way of playing. Yeah, she throws all the lines away, kind of, mm. you know, she moves through it like anything, you know, with elegance and wit. Um, and she's not afraid to be harsh, right? Like, the whole character of Toto, whatever, it, there's a meanness there, right? Mm. And I'm not saying that the film is perfect. I mean, some of the racial stereotyping is like, mm. you know, it's of its time, but it's it's very unpleasant. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, but you know, there's a kind of, I mean, I think these films to me express America at its best, right? They're about very rich people, but they're very democratic. Right, mm. you know, and uh, you know, people talk to each other, and they're very accessible. There's a real kind of feeling of equality about the whole thing. You know, she might be a billionaire who's been married five uh, times, and you know, can kind of do all of these things, but she inherently feels an affinity with this woman who's about to divorce her husband. Mm. Yeah, and you know, who's just had everything bought for her, and she admires the fact that you know the woman is so smart and yeah mm. that she can get someone to buy her the, all the stuff she needs right yeah. there's not a judgment on it uh I, I, I do you not feel a sense breezy the film <laughs> yeah that's true do you not feel a sense of uh is the film trying to puncture the upper classes or the rich um well it's certainly kind of laughing at them but it's also making them endearing and adorable mm. the wonderful thing about Sturgis I think is the only people who are at the butt of his jokes are the pompous and the stuffy ones, well, the Rudy Valley character in this one? Mm. But there's also an affection. Yeah, there's also there's also an affection towards him. You're not meant to hate him, mm. right? Um, so I think you know the films show the ridiculousness of life, but with a great deal of, of affection for human, you know, foibles. And also, Sturgis is one of the few American directors who unabashedly. 
loves intelligence. Mm, you know, and values it. Yeah, and values it. And kind of doesn't speak down to the audience. Yeah, you know, kind of brings the audience up with him. Mm. Right? Kind of, you know, all those jokes, the wordplay, it requires, it, it assumes a, a smart audience, an audience who's smart and quick. Yeah, I agree know. with that. Um, Do you think that's more generally uh, true of Screwball, no matter who's doing it? Well, it depends, because, you know, a lot of Screwballs are. I mean, screwballs are quite a loose definition in a way, okay. right? I mean, I was watching Holiday yesterday, you know, and it's a, it's a play with three acts, you know, lots of three-dimensional characterization, you know. It also has a particular attitude to rich people and money and so on. And there's also, yeah, but it's very serious in, in, in ways and everything is slightly, there's nothing breezy about it, let's put it this way, mm-hmm. right? Like, it's very serious in, in many ways. And a lot of, you know, those comedies of remarriage have a deeper emotional resonance than this film does, Mm. right? You know, um, so, um, I don't know, I I, I like the smarts and uh, the breeziness uh, and the elegance, yeah? It's it's very American, uh, very American of that time. So, what else does Celia say? Uh, I, t- I think I've mostly covered it, but I will just. She quoted a few lines because that's what she does. When I, she says, basically, if I mention this film, she goes, "Oh, it's so quotable." Some then, people know it by heart. Yeah, yeah, and then she knows. You know, she she goes through my memory shit. Otherwise, lines. I would quote you some as well. Men don't get smarter as they age; they just lose their hair. That's the. If that's, there's one line she'll quote, that'll be it. It's a brilliant line. Um, then she said, "English people don't like Preston Sturgis properly. You don't get him at all." Uh, stuff about the Weenie King. <laughs> yes, the, I mean those are all like hilarious. The Weenie King. Lay off them, you'll live longer. That's one I do like. Um, but like I say, like the reason I think the reason I don't laugh at that line is because it's it, somehow the packaging of just everything is just not grabbing me. It's funny. I I really am trying to be honest about like because I think no no I, I appreciate it. I'm trying to be honest about sort of. Um, if there is some kind of deep seated thing that I don't want to admit, <laughs> that I don't, like like think like maybe it is true that I just don't like when Americans are funnier than I am. But, <laughs> but honestly, I really don't think it's got anything to do with that because I really admire so much American comedy and love it. Well, and, you know, I used to teach the Lady Eve, which I think is one of the great screwballs of all time. You know, with Henry Fonda and Barbara Stanwyck and. You know, they're divine and they're divine looking. And again, you know, she's so smart. She's like a, a gambler, you know, smart cookie. And, you know, she grabs, she gets him. And anyway, um, just like, I think one of the great comedies of all time. I, I taught it for several years. It just did not go. Yeah. Right. Like, and maybe that's my fault. I didn't, you know, I, I couldn't communicate it to students properly. Right. Um, but... You are, I also think that, you know, a few times when I've screened it in Canada, you don't have to explain it. <laughs> yeah. You don't have to convince students of why it's great. They get it. Whereas here, they didn't get it, and then I suppose I couldn't communicate it. So I think there is something cultural about Sturges. On the other hand, you know, I mean, I went to a conference in uh, last year, you know, which had a fantastic paper uh, by Doug Pye on the miracle of Morgan's Creek. So, you know, there's no question that Sturgis has 
uh, a whole bunch of uh, fans in Britain. Mm. Yeah, so there's also a difference, I suppose, between like general accessibility and particular appreciation. Um, but I think you know, I agree with Celia on the basis of my experience. Yeah. There's something that you know about surges that British people don't naturally get anyway. Yeah, right. Like the films don't play as well, uh, or in my in my experience, they haven't uh, here. You know, and um, I think the Lady Eve is like a masterpiece, really, which I would not say about this. Yeah, like I, yeah. I do also think that it has, um, it has a. F I think the ending is almost too easy. Yeah, I, I really hated the ending. So I, I love just... the twins thing because actually it explains the beginning. It makes sense of the beginning, mm. yeah, and the ending replies to the beginning and makes sense of both. So I like that, but it's like the moment that leads up to it. It's just, I felt I needed a little bit more. I still think it's a very great film, though. And like all great comedy directors, even someone as um, verbally articulate as Sturgis is, he knows how to do comedy cinematically. Mm. Both formally, generically, visually. It's full of... Jokes. Yeah. Maybe you have to be there. Yeah. <laughs> she, well, she, Celia also says, well, she agrees with me that John McRae isn't a good actor. She says, I don't think he's a good actor. I think he is. She says, I think the genius of the Sturgis movies is in the casting. Like, does Rudy Valet know this is funny? <laughs> I don't think he does. I don't think he does either. That's kind of <laughs> There's actually a fantastic... He's just playing himself, she says. There's a fantastic essay by Gore Vidal uh, where he recounts this interview with Orson Welles, who was like adorable and bitchy, you know, and so smart as well, making fun of Rudy Valley. Yeah, because right. Rudy Valley took himself so seriously that he didn't get to joke. He didn't get to joke about anything. <laughs> <laughs> so. so there you go. That's the end of my conversation with Celia about it. And mostly that's kind of the end of my limited thoughts on it because, um, I, yeah, it's, it's not a film that I've been tempted to dig. I'm, well, I'd say it's not a film I've been tempted to dig into a second time. When you said you were going to put it on, I nearly threatened a fatwa against you. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm glad you saw it through. Yeah. It's always kind of good to get, you know, someone else's worked. point of view. I mean, the first time I watched Spaced, which was this British sitcom by the Shaun of the Dead guys, mm. before Shaun of the Dead in 1999, I'd heard this thing was hugely recommended and everything, and I bought the double series set, and I put the first episode on, and I thought, this is tedious, mm. you know. And so I didn't watch it, the rest of it. And then three years later, maybe, I saw it on my shelf and I thought I'd give that another go. Mm -hmm. And again, I didn't think much of the first episode, but when I got through it, the whole thing came alive. And now it's one of my favourite shows. And well, this can happen. Sometimes you need that time, but this yeah. hasn't worked for me on this. Sometimes you're not in the mood for things. Or, and actually, sometimes you just don't get it. You know, I mean, I, I have lived in enough different places to know that sometimes you've got to acquire structures of feeling like you know not everything it's not necessarily your fault that you don't get something sometimes there's reasons why you don't get something or sometimes it's a question of taste or affinity or mood you know i think that's particularly true of comedy mm. you know so um you know i don't hold, i don't hold it against you i'm not no, judging no. you because you know you can't appreciate this great masterpiece of the cinema <laughs> <laughs> you just said it wasn't <laughs> 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 I'm also 
trying to think about what you said about my, my attitude to marriage and if that's true and if there are things because I think screwball generally um, is is a genre that tries to undercut those kind of um, relationships yes. but, yeah. and and I like a lot of screwball so I'm not necessarily sure that it's true maybe maybe it would have been once upon a time and my attitude has changed um, I mean I can see where you're coming from yes um well, you know, yeah. I'm not saying it's right, but, but yeah. you know, um, yeah. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. But I'm kind of, I'm happy to never watch this again now. Right. <laughs> uh, also, are they called Tom and Jerry because of the cartoon? Uh, who? Tom and Jerry, the, the main two, the married couple, they're called Tom and Jerry, aren't they? Ah, right, well, it could very well be. Yes, the cartoon would have been... Um, I think this came out a couple of years earlier, the first Tom and Jerry cartoon. Yes. Mm. Um, yes. Bit of a coincidence, if not. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I'm sure. Uh, I mean, I've never even noticed that actually. So I've taught you something. You have. <laughs> yes, I have much to learn. <laughs> <laughs> All right, great. Anyway, don't be discouraged by Mike's uh, views. Uh, give it a go yourself. <laughs> yeah. You know, it is kind of you know one of the highlights of American comedy of the 1940s. Thank you very much for listening. We are eavesdropping at the movies and we are on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, SoundCloud and YouTube. On social media, we're on Facebook and Twitter at Eavesdrop Movies. And the website with every podcast on is eavesdroppingatthemovies.com. Thank you very much. Bye-bye.